0: Revelation 18. Now you'll see by the setup here that we are in preparation for the resurrection celebration, Friday, Saturday, Sunday night, and I trust that you'll be praying much. You'll bring folks who need to know about Jesus, and uh, that is a reason for squeezing, virtually squeezing. Aren't you glad that we have a fit choir that could be squeezed over there. And uh, I thank the Lord for a repenting orchestra. You know, you saw one of the greatest illustrations of repentance that could ever be. First, they were facing that way following this leader. And did you watch that? Did you see? Then they all made an about face to look over here and follow another leader. And that is repentance. Repentance. A turning about and following a new leader. Amen? Don't you thank the Lord for repenting orchestra? Uh, I wondered how they were going to pull that off, but uh, we are praying for a great time Friday, Saturday, and Sunday evening, and I am grateful for all those who've been a part of the preparation. Uh, Thank you for asking about me. Last Sunday, I just was in such bad shape I couldn't come, but... um, The doctors did some tests this week. My heart has not regressed. It is as sound as it was a year ago at the last test. But it was just exhausted and said, I'm not doing anything else. And it announced that about midnight last Saturday night. And so I finally paid attention when my wife made an executive decision and called Dr. Chapman at uh, 6.55 last Sunday morning and said, he, he's not going anywhere. And so I've been in bed most of the week resting and it is recovering and I thank you for your interest. Don't worry about me, just pray for me and I thank you for that. All right, I'm, I'm doing fine uh, in other ways. I just need to, to make some changes. In Revelation 18.4, I want you to see this text, this turning point of the great chapter in Revelation. I heard another voice from heaven saying, Come out of her, my people, lest you share in her sins, and lest you receive of her plagues. And on that turns the lesson for all of us in Revelation chapter 18. Chapter 17 is the destruction prophesied of Babylon the harlot, which is the religious deceiver the great religious power of the future that is in consort with the political leaders and has deceived the political leaders and the destruction in chapter 17 of this religious this religious power is prophesied but chapter 18 it is not Babylon the harlot it is Babylon the city that is being destroyed and this is this represents God's coming destruction of the economic system System of this evil world. Just as the religious system can be prostituted and become evil in the hands of Satan, so can the commercial system and the political system, and this is the commercial system of the world. It is Babylon the city, not Babylon the harlot, and we'll see that as we work. Look in verse 10, alas, alas, that great city Babylon, that mighty city, for in Meahorah, for in one hour, very quickly shall the economic system of this world just simply collapse now you know when we read the wall street journal you can see how easily this could happen today one nation like mexico which suddenly is prospering and is the envy of all of central and latin america and suddenly almost overnight its reserves dwindle its indebtedness changes and boom down it comes Listen, the economic system of this world can be destroyed in miahora, in one hour. In one hour, the stocks you're holding in your retirement system can be worthless. In one hour, the land that you are now currently owning can go down 50% in value. If you don't believe that, ask people in California. And the, the, the coming prophecy of chapter 18 is that Babylon, the city, the commercial interests of this great world system, will collapse in a moment. God will bring judgment on the economic system. Now, the text, my, my title would be, How to Be Out of This World. But the text of verse 4 tells us what the principal lesson, it is a lesson which is important for all of us to hear one more time. And it, re- it relates to the problem of separation in the Christian life. How can I be in this world, but yet out of this world? How can I live in this world and bank with the system and have a retirement plan and buy stocks and purchase a house and borrow money to purchase a house? How can I do that? and at the same time not be of the world system. It's the question of the doctrine of separation. Larry bucket by the way, who has cancer and just had major surgery, I don't know whether you heard that, but he had cancer of the kidney and cancer, a cancerous tumor in the soldier, in the soldier. Who had a cancerous tumor in the shoulder <laughs> uh, is has had surgery two weeks be- ago and is doing much better but Larry Buckett has preached that in his books how to be how to use the system but not let the system overwhelm you and be a part of you and that's a problem how can we be in the world but not of the world I love TV commercials don't you I mean in fact I think the commercials are really better than the programs I love that Doritos nursery commercial. Have you seen that? I love it where all the babies are in there. It is havoc. I've been there. How many of you have been there? You've been to infant havoc. And um, then it's all of a sudden they get Doritos and they're all up and singing and tapping their toes and even the nurses are dancing a jig. I mean, that's a great commercial. But one of my favorites is the little boy with the big ears sucking on a straw drinking a Pepsi. And he keeps sucking it until his ears, and then all of a sudden, he is inside, he's sucked it all out, you know, and he's slurping. You know how irritating that is. When somebody keeps sucking on an empty bottle. Amen. Doesn't that how many how many is that a pet peeve of? There's nothing more to get. But he's after the bottom of that bottle. And finally, his ears get sucked into the bottle, and then his whole body, and then his sister calls out, Mama, he's done it again. <laughs> nothing like a Pepsi. Now, that Pepsi commercial illustrates the problem that is being revealed to John for saints in the tribulation period. That is, if we're not careful, the world will suck us in and we will be so enamored and inured with the world that the world has swallowed us up like the Pepsi swallowed the boy. Now watch the text. Let's work our way through it. Hold your hand right here. In chapter 14, verse 18, we have a warning that Babylon is coming down." You have a warning. And if you see that in chapter, uh, 14, uh, chapter 14, verse eight, another angel followed saying, "Babylon is fallen, is fallen, that great city." That's a prediction that the economic system is going to come down. Chapter 16 verse 19 you have it again. The great city was divided into three parts and the cities of the nations fell and great Babylon was remembered before God to give her the cup of the wine of the fierceness of his wrath. Babylon is fallen is fallen. Epison epison epison. Now here again chapter 18 Babylon is fallen, verse 2. Babylon the great is fallen, is fallen, and has become a habitation of demons. Now, ladies and gentlemen, over the past 25 years, we've had a lot of gurus who've come around and prophesied that the economic system is going to collapse. You and I have some good friends in this city who were believing Christians who went out and sold everything they had and bought silver because the economic system is going to collapse and silver is going to be the only way to save it. And there are a lot of people broke, nearly broke themselves because they, they found silver going from $18 uh, to $7 an ounce. And now to 4 And there are other people who got word that the economic system was going to fall And they went out and bought these crackers that last for 35 years, and they stored up food in their basements. (laughs) I don't know. I don't know what a cracker would taste after 25 years. (laughs) And I think that there have been many Christians who have overreacted to the prophecy. The trick for us believers is to hear the warning and to keep right on doing the things we would do if Jesus came tomorrow Or if the economic system came tomorrow and I lost everything, it's all right. I have Jesus. He is adequate. You cannot proof yourself against the prophecies of God. You can be smart and you can be wise, but don't try to out-trick the devil. But I'll tell you what we must do. We must never let the Pepsi bottle suck us in. We must never become so enamored of the world that the world has us. That's the warning. Now, with that in mind, read down on through here with me. Babylon represents, then, the forces of evil in the world system. Babylon the harlot represents the religious system. Babylon the city, the commercial system. Verse 1, I saw another angel coming down from heaven, having great authority. And the earth was illuminated with its glory, and he cried, Babylon is fallen. Verse 3, all the nations had drunk of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. Every effort to systematize and unify and control the world economic system in one pot by one monetary fund makes it just easier for what God prophesies in this chapter to happen. That is why we read carefully how the world economy is being controlled by the IMF, the International Monetary Fund. Notice that this is commercialism that is falling because read verse 3 carefully. All the nations have drunk of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. The kings of the earth have committed fornication with her, and the merchants of the earth have become rich Through the abundance of our luxury, everybody gets rich. Through the abundance of the luxury of this one world evil economic system. I believe in a free economy. I am an exponent of the free enterprise system. I believe it best matches what God has given to us as talents or pounds. And he's entrusted them to our care to see what we can do with them. I am a capitalist because I believe the capitalist best gives the individual an opportunity to take what God gives and uses. However, capitalism like socialism can fall prey to the greed of the carnal, fallen, sinful nature. And when that happens, that will be the ultimate downfall of the world economic system. So God says in the midst of that, come out of her, my people, verse 4. Her sins have reached to heaven, verse 5. Verse 6, render to her just as she rendered to you and repay her double according to her works. That's the law, Exodus 22. Double the double. There will be double judgment for the judgment that it has wrought on people of this world in taking advantage of them. Seven, in the measure that she glorified herself. Now watch the things that bring the economic system down. They start, they're listed here. You you can see them listed beginning in verse verse, uh, five. First, her sins have reached to heaven and God knows the economic system better than anyone else. And because of that, She will be rendered double according to her works. Verse 7. The second reason God will destroy the economic system is that she glorified herself and lived luxuriously. In the same measure give her torment and sorrow for she says in her heart, I sit as queen and am no widow and will not see sorrow. When you come to trust in money, in the system, in what you have, when that becomes your God, you glorify yourself as against God. Watch out. That's when God will bring judgment on you or judgment on the system. Verse eight, therefore her plagues will come in one day, death and mourning and famine. She will be utterly burned with fire for strong is the Lord who judges her. And then you begin reading in verse 9, a remarkable passage. The kings of the earth who committed fornication and lived luxuriously with her will weep and lament when they see the smoke of her burning. They will stand back and say, what a great system it was. In one hour, your judgment has come, verse 10. And now how we know this is the commercial system. The merchants of the earth will weep and mourn over her. Because when she is destroyed, no one buys their merchandise anymore. And now are listed 28 things that will no longer be sold or traded. Gold and silver. Why is he saying that? Don't put your trust in gold and silver. Do you remember when Bunker Hunt out in Texas brought up all the silver on a gamble that the world was going to crash and silver would be the market? And A whole lot of people around Winston-Salem went around buying silver like crazy, and then silver fell. The bottom just came out of it. Gold, silver, precious stones, pearls, fine linen, purple, silk, scarlet, citron wood, every kind of object of ivory, every object of precious wood, bronze, iron, marble, cinnamon, incense, fragrant oil, frankincense, wine and oil, fine flour, wheat, cattle and sheep, horses and chariots, and bodies. And souls of men, every time I read that, I think of the swaps market and the derivatives market. People were getting so wealthy on it. And all of a sudden, about six months ago, the bottom fell out of that. And as the dollar fell, all the other currencies of the world fell. People in the last six months in America have lost hundreds of millions of dollars when the market fell out. Their trust was in a system that God says, I'm going to judge and bring down. But now here is the essence. In the midst of all these 28 items, look at verse 13. What happened in the midst of that commerce was that men lost their bodies and their souls. And when you started putting money above souls and money above people, God says, I'm going to bring judgment on you. Because there's a difference between the souls of men and cinnamon and the souls of men and gold and the souls of men and silver. And when the system makes people expendable, it risks the judgment of God. Now you think about that for a minute. Don't you get sucked up into that Pepsi bottle of this world economic system to where men no longer count and money is most important. That's very simple. Now, where did the idea that men are valuable come from? Did that come from the devil who seeks to destroy men? Where did the idea that a fetus in the womb of a mother is not valuable? Where did that come from? That came from the pit of hell. Where did the idea, what shall it profit a man if he gain the what, class? What is it? Whole world and lose his own soul that came from the heart of God and God is the one who gives value to men's souls and to men's life and God is the one who says there's no way to put a price of gold on the soul of a man on that grandchild of yours on that daughter of yours on that son of yours And when the system makes people expendable for the purpose of trading and profit, God says, I'll judge it not only in the tribulation period, which is when this is, but in every age you can expect God to judge the system that attacks the bodies and the souls of men. Mark it down. So he says, verse 14, the fruit that your soul longed for has gone from you and all the things which are rich and splendid have gone from you and you shall find them no more at all look at verse 15 the merchants of these things who became rich by her will stand at a distance for fear of her torment weeping and wailing oh we had it so well alas that great city that was clothed in fine linen purple and scarlet and adorned with gold and precious stones how could it be then in one hour, such great riches come to nothing. And every shipmaster, all who travel by ship, sailors, and as many as trade on the sea, all the transportation industry, which depends on that commercial system, stood at a distance and cried out when they small, saw the smoke in John's vision, the smoke of the city of Babylon burning, saying, What is like this great city? And they threw dust on their heads and cried out, weeping and wailing. Alas, alas, that great city in which all who had ships on the sea became rich by our wealth. For in me a horror. There it is again. Third time. In one hour she is made desolate. How could it be? Ask anybody who experienced the fall of 1928, the late 20s. And you watch how men were... were made paupers overnight, and how they cried and wept and bewailed the fall of the system. You know, look at verse 20. Here is an interesting thing. As far as I know, this is the first command in all of the book of Revelation to rejoice. And the command in verse 20 is to rejoice that the destruction has come. Rejoice over her, that is Babylon's destruction, O heaven, and you holy apostles and prophets, for God has avenged you on her. And a mighty angel took up a stone like a great millstone and threw it into the sea, saying, Thus with violence the great city Babylon shall be thrown down and shall not be found anymore. Now what's the effect of the fall, this commercial judgment, judgment on the world economic system? The sound of harpists, musicians, flutists, and trumpeters shall not be heard in you anymore. And no craftsman of any craft shall be found in you anymore. And the sound of a millstone, which had been dropped into the sea, sign of judgment, shall not be heard in you anymore. And the light of a lamp shall not shine in you anymore. And the voice of bridegroom and bride shall not be heard in you anymore. No rejoicing. For your merchants were the great men of the earth, and by your sorcery all the nations were deceived. And in her was found the blood of prophets and saints and of all who were slain on the earth. It's an awesome picture. I don't know that you and I will ever be able to grasp the essence of it. But I can tell you this. If there was an economic fall of the stock market tomorrow... And the fall of the American government and I, I I confess I read a lot about the economy just because I'm interested in revelation and prophecy in the future. But this nation cannot go on the way it is. There has to be a reckoning someday. Either they're going to declare all debt null and void. I mean someday. If they're going to continue to give you who are my age thirty seven plus twenty. If they're going to continue to give you Social Security someday, I mean, you you just look at all the aspects of debt and currency and money supply and how more and more intertwined the, the national economies of the world are into one system, how when something happens here, all the other nations are affected. I'm not saying this is happening yet. I'm just saying that the system is ripe for this to happen and everything is moving in a direction so that it can happen at some point in the near future. I'm not a predictor of when the tribulation will come, but it's in place where it could come as never before in the history of mankind. Now, in the middle of all of that, let's spend the last 10 or 15 minutes of our worship time this morning talking about this general idea of verse 4. It is what I call worldliness and the doctrine of separation throughout the Word of God in Isaiah and Jeremiah and Revelation. I don't have time to give them all to you because we go on to something more important. But there are seven warnings, seven times in Scripture, the fullness in Jeremiah and Isaiah and Revelation for God's people in every age, to come out of Babylon. 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 Babylon. Worldliness for the Christian is not watching X-rated movies. That's the fruit of worldliness. Worldliness for the Christian is not necessarily walking or watching 32 hours of television. I don't know what in the world you watch in one week. Worldliness for the Christian is being so close to the world that we think and act like the world. It is what you fear for when you turn your child loose into the world. It is what you fear for when you drop out of church and backslide and get away from your support network that God has ordained for every believer. It is what can happen to you when you go off to college. It is what can happen to you when you live in a place, when you live in a society where sin is increasingly accepted all around you. And before you know it, you and I, the body of Christ in the world today, start thinking and acting just like the rest of the economic world. When we start borrowing and buying because the rest of the world lives this way and we violate fundamental financial principles of Scripture, then we need to come out of Babylon. It is when we are so in hock, we have nothing to give God but a penance and we have robbed God, we need to come out of of the system. Now I don't mean you need to hoard your money and don't put in, don't use the banks. That's not what I mean. I mean you must realign every way you think and act financially so that if the system failed, God would be totally adequate for you. Your trust, your heart is in him and not the system. Now let me illustrate this. In the January issue, I believe it was January, the first quarter issue, of the American Sociological Review uh, magazine, two sociologists at the State University of Albany, New York, did a study on young married couples. And they followed them for seven years. And then they measured the rate of divorce with the rate of population demographically, which were single. Now, this is awesome. Now, Now, listen to this. They found that wherever young married couples who are not yet bonded in their marriage lived in a city with a high rate of available partners, the rate of divorce for young married couples skyrocketed. Now, that's not an accusation against singles. You don't automatically believe because somebody is single, they're out to steal your husband. Amen? All the single women in here said... Now let me make that, let's say that. Well, I want you to be a little more enthusiastic about that. Do you, do you mean that? That doesn't mean that all single women in this church are out for somebody's husband. Amen? Amen. And it doesn't mean that all single men are out for your wife. And I don't mean to impugn the motives of singles. But it illustrates a tremendous phenomenon. That temptation is powerful and the human nature is weak. And when young married couples are not bonded and they live in a society with a high proportion of free and available partners, divorce skyrockets. There is a direct correlation. That is not my statistic. That is not a Christian pollster statistic. That is a secular university sociological department statistic as reported to the National Association of Sociologists. And the grave danger for you and for me is that as we live in this world, we are overwhelmed by the world so that like the little boy sucking on the Pepsi, he winds up in the bottle rather than the bottle in him. Now, there are three things in verse 4. And then I want to give exposition to them and we'll close. First, verse 4. Come out of her, my people. There is a command for God's people in every age to be separate. Separate. Now that may mean different things to different people and some people may have abused the doctrine of separation. But ladies and gentlemen, there is a legitimate biblical doctrine of separation that you and I as the body of Jesus Christ have better pay attention to and we better teach our young people how to live in the world but not be of the world. How to live in this world. We cannot escape the world economic system But we don't have to be consumed by it so that we think and act the same and spend the same way the world does. Secondly, not only be separate, but he said, Lest you share in her sins, be different. Be different. You are light in this world, not darkness. You're awake in this world, not asleep. You are holy in this world, not controlled by Satan. The third command, come out of her, be separate. Lest you share in her sins, be different. And lest you receive of her plagues, be clean. Don't be tarnished by the world. You say, well, Pastor, explain to me exactly what you mean. All right, take your Bible and turn to John chapter 17. In the high priestly prayer, when Jesus prayed for his disciples, you have a tremendously insightful passage from the words of Jesus just before his death. He is praying for his own, for his disciples. And begin in verse 9. I pray for them, the ones you've given me. I do not pray for the world. Notice, this is not a prayer for the world. Jesus didn't pray for the world here. He prayed for his own. I do not pray for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. Look at verse 11. Now I am no longer in the world, but these are in the world. And I come to you, Holy Father, keep through your name. Through identifying with you, keep in the world those whom you have given me. Doesn't this sound like a parent's prayer when you send your children off to college? I mean, Jesus said, Lord, I can't stay in the world with them. I've got to go back to heaven, so I give them over to you. Oh, God, keep them through your name. I remember when we sent our first child off to college, we packed all the family in the car and drove Steve down to Wingate for his first two years before he transferred back to Wake Forest. And there, the whole family, all of his little brothers and sisters, marched embarrassingly into his dorm room to help set it up. He was so embarrassed. He's now a big-shot college student. And on the way back, it was so quiet in the car, nobody said a word. In this talkative, vocal family, not one person said a word until we got to Lake Norman on I-77. I'll never forget. And John kind of snickered and said, You think Steve will ever come back home? Boy, did he ever come back home. Boy, did he ever call back home. Dad, send more money. (laughs) But all you can do when you send that child out to the world is say, oh, Father, I've done everything. Now, listen to what Jesus is saying. I pray for them. I ask you to keep them through your name. Verse 11. Verse 12. While I was with them in the world... I kept them in your name. And those whom you gave me, I have kept, and none are lost. Now look at verse uh, verse 14. I have given them your word. Not only your name, but your word. And the world has hated them because they are not of this world. Be separate. Be different. Be clean. The world will hate you. But God will honor you. We were examining Bill Coleman for the gospel ministry yesterday morning. And he said he was in a high school class when he was a senior. And they were all talking about how many sexual conquests they'd had. I think high school kids brag a little bit. And they were all talking about this and that. And they came to Bill and Bill said, I want you to know that I'm a virgin. And I have saved myself so that I have something to give to my wife when I marry her that I have never given to anybody else. Wow. And after the class was over, some may have made fun of him, but some came and said, that's really cool. I wish that I could say that. Jesus said, when you're separate, when you're different, when you're clean, verse 14, the world will hate you. Now, here's the essence of worldliness, verse 15. This is Christians, the Christian's right attitude towards the world system. I do not pray that you should take them out of the world. I do not pray for you to remove temptation. I do not pray for you to save them from all trial, but rather that you should keep them from the influence and the habits and the patterns and the ways of thinking and feeling from the evil one. Now, Jesus has already given us a clue as to how he's going to do that. By identifying with believers and not being ashamed. I have given them your name and I have given them your word. Two ways that you and I can stay godly in an ungodly economic system. If the rest of the world goes this way, I'm going to follow the Word of God. If the rest of the world goes that way, I'm going to follow the Word of God. I was so proud of Bill Coleman. Growing up through this church, he said, I learned that all truth comes out of the Word of God and I ought to measure everything from the precious Word of God. And when that happens, parent, you and I, you and the church together have been partners in accomplishing what God gave us. We can send our children out to be kept through the word and through the name by identifying with God's people and identifying with God's truth. That's the way we're going to avoid worldliness in the body of Christ. And then in verse 16, he said, they are not of the world just as I am not of the world. Paul gave a little more exposition to this whole idea but I think that's the that's the that, that's the base passage right there on worldliness. But turn to 2 Corinthians and let me just show you one other passage verse 14 of chapter 6 2 Corinthians chapter 6 Don't believe this is a hidden new testament doctrine. It ha- may have been ignored by the church but it ought not to be. I don't think worldliness is dressing funny. I don't think worldliness means I have, to, uh, call, I have to be odd for Jesus. But I think it means that while I live in this world, I never let the world system suck me in so that I am captured in the Pepsi bottle. That's what it means. I am always independent enough to follow Jesus if the rest of the world goes that way. I'm ready to be separate and to be different and to be clean. Now look at this, uh, this doctrine in 2 Corinthians 6. Do not be uh, verse 14. Do not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers. Now I think that means that uh, if you're in a direct partnership with an unbeliever, you got a great risk. If you marry a non-Christian, you do so at great risk. Some of those marriages work out and I praise God for that. But brother or sister, don't tempt the devil. Look for a God-given woman and a God-given man. Amen. And some of you single gals, if you have to wait till you are 39 and your biological clock is about to explode, it's ticking so fast. Don't violate this passage. Two years of life with a wrong man, uh, somebody whose allegiance is to the devil, is not worth The fleeting joy of walking down the aisle for a marriage just because everybody else is getting married. I'm preaching to you girls down here on the second row too. Stephanie and and Lori. In verse 15, now watch. Watch, or verse 14. Now watch the things. Underline these in your Bible. He asks these rhetorical questions and he lists five important things. What fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness. What communion has light with darkness? That's the second. What accord or union has Christ with Belial? What part has a believer with an unbeliever? And what agreement has the temple of God with idols? There are the five things. Fellowship, communion, union, part, and agreement. Somebody who's walking with the devil is in union with the devil. Somebody who's walking with Christ is in union with Christ. If you get in bed with the devil, you're going to get up with the demons. Amen? If you get in bed with Christ and you're in union with him, then you will be separate, you will be different, and you will be clean. And that's the admonition of Revelation. For God's people in every time, we have to be in the world. I go to First Union Bank, but I don't want First Union Bank to tell me what to do, how to live. Amen. I got an IRA, but that IRA can come or go. But Jesus will live forever. Amen. (laughs) My trust is in him. The problem is this. If I'm in the world and the world influences me, And I do not keep myself through his name and through his word. Then I wind up in serious trouble because I'm in union to whatever degree with the world. And I'm trying to join Christ to Belial and there's no way that can happen. There is no way. Two weeks ago. We celebrated, some of us in this country, St. Patrick's Day. In Chicago, there's a river. They turn green to celebrate the Irish. How many of you wore green on that day? Did you wear green? I know some people like to wear green this weekend, the Masters. But did you know the truth about you are getting the message you would have gotten last week? You know that, don't you? Uh, did you know that St. Patrick really was Scottish and not Irish? He was a Scotch boy born in 389, and Irish raiders came to Scotland and kidnapped him and took him back. And for six years, he was an Irish slave taught the pagan Gallic ways of Ireland. And after six years, he escaped to a monastery off the coast of uh, France and uh, uh, fled to a monastery. And there, he became a Christian. And went back to Ireland and is the pa- he's a Scotchman of another country who is the patron saint of Ireland because he was able to be in Ireland but not of Ireland. And he had more influence on Ireland than Ireland had on him. And he planted Christianity there. And soon, Ireland became known as the Isle of Saints because of the force of the life of St. Patrick. It's a very godly thing to celebrate St. Patrick's Day. And he was known as the missionary saint because he turned the converts into converters and sent an enormous number of missionaries all over the world out of Ireland, though he was Scottish. That's what God wants of you and me in this world. He wants us to be separate and to be different and to be clean. Worldliness is when sin takes us farther than we want to go, costs more than we want to pay, and keeps us longer than we want to stay. That's worldliness. And Jesus prayed, oh God, I pray that you will not take them out of the world, but keep them while they are in the world through thy name and through thy word. And I'm not just talking to teenagers. It's as possible for a 65-year-old to get worldly and start thinking and acting like the world. Just because you don't run out to the guard every Saturday night doesn't mean you're not worldly. When we start thinking and spending and acting and feeling in ways that are controlled by the world, we are of the world. And God says, come out, be separate, be different, and be clean. Worldliness is when sin takes us farther than we want to go, costs more than we want to pay, and keeps us longer than we want to stay. Maybe the world has just come crashing in on you and had an enormous influence on your life. It's making you what you you don't want to be. And I I want to issue the call of Revelation 18.4. Come out. Make a decision. I will establish a spiritual base. I will build a network system. I will build a team that will help me to be identified with the name of Jesus so I'm not of the world. I will obey the Word of God so that I'll have an internal mechanism that I can always reference against the demands of the world so I'm never of the world system. Would you make up your mind and decide for Jesus that way in standing prayer? Father, we thank you for the Word of God and pray that it shall impact our lives today. Call us to come out and give us the strength to make a commitment that we shall be separate. We shall be different. And we shall be clean in Jesus' name. Amen.